Good evening, everyone. Welcome. We recognize, Heavenly Father, that we have heard you speak this night through your living word. We recognize that we cannot be recipients of this word unless you go before by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts to receive it. We pray, Father, this night that we would be those who would be poor in spirit. We pray this night that we would mourn. We ask this night that we would be meek. We ask, Father, that you would create a hunger within our hearts for righteousness. We thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that as you transform our hearts that we do see you. We thank you that we are your children, sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you for the principle of life that is ours, that we can be led by our Savior as the Good Shepherd, and that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We thank you, Father, that we can take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that in the midst of trial and suffering, we can rejoice in the Lord. Oh, how we praise you that you are such a tender, loving, heavenly Father, that you sent your one and only Son who would redeem us from the curse that has been placed upon us because of our sin. We thank you that Jesus became a curse for us and bore the wrath of you, our God, for our breaking the law. O oh, Father, this night we pray that we would again behold the Savior. We ask this night that any of the intellect, any of the ability, any of the work that has been done in your word would be eclipsed by a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power amongst us. Father, we pray for uh, many friends. We thank you that we are part of the kingdom of God. We thank you for the multitudes even this day, who are seeking your face and worshiping you and humbling themselves before you all around this globe. We thank you, Father, that we are sons and daughters of your great kingdom. And we thank you that your kingdom is in our midst. Father, we pray that we would be men and women who would not capitulate to the darkness of this world, but we would be transformed by your living word in our hearts and in our lives, that we would know what it is to live for your glory. 
we would say with David of old, Father, against you only have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. And we would pray this night for each one of us that you would create a clean heart within us and a right spirit. Father, we pray for those who are part of this congregation. We ask that they would know your presence and your help in times of sickness, in times of distress, in times of discouragement. But we would pray more than this, Father, that you would fill them with unspeakable joy. Father, enable us this night as we come to your table to be filled with the joy of the Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our champion, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he went and it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. Fill us with the self-same joy. And may our hearts adound with the praise of you, our God, as we continue this night. We ask in the precious name of our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus. Amen. We recognize, Heavenly Father, that we have heard you speak this night through your living word. We recognize that we cannot be recipients of this word unless you go before by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts to receive it. We pray, Father, this night that we would be those who would be poor in spirit. We pray this night that we would mourn. We ask this night that we would be meek. We ask, Father, that you would create a hunger within our hearts for righteousness. We thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that as you transform our hearts that we do see you. We thank you that we are your children, sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you for the principle of life that is ours, that we can be led by our Savior as the Good Shepherd, and that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We thank you, Father, that we can take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that in the midst of trial and suffering, we can rejoice in the Lord. Oh, how we praise you that you are such a tender, loving, heavenly Father, that you sent your one and only Son who would redeem us from the curse that has been placed upon us because of our sin. We thank you that Jesus became a curse for us and bore 
the wrath of you, our God, for our breaking the law. O Father, this night we pray that we would again behold the Savior. We ask this night that any of the intellect, any of the ability, any of the work that has been done in your word would be eclipsed by a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power amongst us. Father, we pray for uh, many friends. We thank you that we are part of the kingdom of God. We thank you for the multitudes, even this day, who are seeking your face and worshiping you and humbling themselves before you all around this globe. We thank you, Father, that we are sons and daughters of your great kingdom. And we thank you that your kingdom is in our midst. Father, we pray that we would be men and women who would not capitulate to the darkness of this world, but we would be transformed by your living word in our hearts and in our lives, that we would know what it is to live for your glory. We would say with David of old, Father, against you only have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. And we would pray this night for each one of us that you would create a clean heart within us and a right spirit. Father, we pray for those who are part of this congregation. We ask that they would know your presence and your help in times of sickness, in times of distress, in times of discouragement. But we would pray more than this, Father, that you would fill them with unspeakable joy. Father, enable us this night as we come to your table to be filled with the joy of the Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our champion, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he went and it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. Fill us with the selfsame joy. And may our hearts adound with the praise of you, our God, as we continue this night. We ask in the precious name of our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus. Amen. I would have you once again take your Bibles as we did this morning. And uh, before I get told, I better do this. Um, take your Bibles with me as we did this morning and turn to Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. I am reading out of the English Standard Version, so if you notice a slight variation, that is why. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I guess this morning we had an introduction. This morning we were talking about this great word, propitiation, as found in Romans 3.25 and 1 John chapter 2. We read in Romans 3.25, that God put forward Christ Jesus as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And we saw that the living God, your Creator, your Sustainer, once presented His Son, Jesus, who is the Christ, to the earth and heaven as a propitiation for a sin-hating God. The word propitiate simply means to appease or to turn away wrath. Now that is what Jesus has done by sacrificing himself on Golgotha. He has propitiated the wrath or appeased the wrath of a sin-hating God. And you may ask why is propitiation necessary? It's necessary because God's holy anger rests on all that is evil. And you may ask the question, who does the propitiating? It is God who does the propitiation and the propitiating. We have nothing to give to God. We have nothing that will turn away his anger toward us. And so God does all that needs to be done for us. God finds a lamb to die in our place. And you recognize that. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The third thing we might ask was, how was the propitiation accomplish. And this morning as I began this message, I asked the question, how can we be right with God? Propitiation is accomplished by God giving his own son. He spared him not. And in giving him, the living God was giving himself. This one who is Jesus is the exact representation of his being, as the preacher in Hebrew tells us. This one who was born of a woman, who was born under the law, who came to redeem us who are under the law, is none other than God incarnate in the flesh. 
I always think about conversations I have had with cults. The reason I'm thinking about that this evening is I was with my son and my granddaughter the other morning. They were visiting for coffee and we live on a highway and there was a knock on the door and um, we were being invited to a memorial service that they have once a year, not on Good Friday or Easter Sunday, but Thursday night this week. When I started speaking about the Lord to her, gently, she said, I have to go. She said, I came to you. When you come to my house, then you can speak to me. I said, ah, but you're on my property. You've come to me and the Lord has brought you. This is a divine appointment. The last occasion I had to talk to these folks, there was two young men. It was 15 below. I was in a t-shirt. I stood outside for 45 minutes. I ended the conversation. Isn't it wonderful that God died for our sins? They couldn't take the truth. I believe that God has given us a great message and we're to speak the truth in love. And what a great message it is, isn't it? That the Lord Jesus Christ is the exact representation of his being. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, it is God who provides sacrifice to cover sins. And he clothes first man and first woman, not in a garment of righteousness, but in the garments of an animal to clothe their nakedness and shame and guilt. And all through the Old Covenant, we see God doing just that. But all the sacrifices that were ever offered couldn't atone for the sin of the Lord's people. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And it's not an animal skin that we're clothed with, but we're clothed with the righteousness of the living God. How can I find shelter from the wrath of God? How, come, how can I be covered when God pours out vials of wrath on man's sin? 
The scripture says the great day of his wrath is coming and who shall stand? The scripture before us tells us in verse 25, by his blood to be received by faith. Now what is meant by blood here? It's not focusing on Jesus' hemoglobin. Oftentimes people make that mistake. It does not just mean the dying of Jesus, but blood refers to a violent death. His life was wrestled from him by evil men. And we are told to look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain as a sacrifice for sin. We saw this morning in Sunday school that that was illustrated in some way by a butcher shop. The butcher's the lucky guy at the end of the process in providing us with food. Because the Lord Jesus, He was the Lamb of God. And His life was taken from Him in a violent, in an extraordinary way. And God handed Him over to wicked men so that they might kill Him. The cross of Golgotha is a murder scene. It's a homicide. It's not just, and I'm not minimizing this, it is that, it's not just the Lamb of God who is passively giving up Himself and shedding His blood for the sin of the world. It's wicked men who are aggressively taking His life. And that's the impact of what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, whom God, verse 25, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. He is the sacrifice for the sin of the world. And we're to trust him because he voluntarily shed his blood. Jesus appeased, Jesus propitiated the wrath of God against the sin of men and women, you and I. But how can we appropriate, how can we apply that forgiveness to our lives? How can the smile of God beam down upon us? How can we be right with God? How can we be those who are pleasing in His sight? How can those who have been redeemed by His blood, literally bought back, how can we be safe? We sing that little chorus, and my mind's so full of all these uh, choruses, safe and I, safe am I in the hollow of His hand. Do you still sing that? Yeah. Uh, um, how can we be safe? A little chorus that 
is still sung here, safe am I in the hollow of his hand. Jesus, Jesus said, no one, no one can, can pluck me out of my father's hand. My father is greater than all. And what God does today is he, he presents, he presents Jesus to us saying, here is my son. He is for you. Really, on two occasions at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration of Jesus, when the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, what he was saying is, here is my Son, and he is for you. The first thing I want to, the first point this morning, this evening, <laughs> I just woke up from a nap. <laughs> Jesus speaks wisely to us. And isn't it always sensible advice when he does speak? When will you hear better words of counsel than that when Jesus speaks? We just read the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Just listen to all of his wonderful promises. Read his parables. Heed his warnings. You can't go wrong if you follow Jesus. Because he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd leads his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Don't become religious. There's no answer in religion. Don't become a Baptist or a Pentecostal or an Anglican or a Roman Catholic or a Hindu or a Buddhist. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, I pray that they may be one, John 17, as we are one. The important thing is not to be religious or to have some labels are fine as far as they go. They identify and sort of give a short form for everybody who's wondering what we're all about. But the important thing is that we have been transformed by the grace of God and we are safe in him. There's no answers in religion, but there's answers are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I assure you, that he gives good advice. Listen to him.
listen to him. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Jesus Christ promises us. He promises us shelter. Towards the end of Jehovah Jesus' life, he had been preaching to a, a largely indifferent city in Jerusalem. Do you remember how he was in Jerusalem? He came to his own, but his own received him not. Do you remember how he went out and there were the years of opposition and he went to, out into the countryside, into the desert place, into the surrounding nations, to the Samaritan. Do you remember how he came back and because he knew that it was the time for him to be the one who would be taken outside of the city and killed by wicked men. And he purposed his whole ministry in going to all the world. We think about what we heard about this morning. Jesus loves me. And yes, he does. He loves the world. For God so loved the world, and it's the intensity of the love of God that's being emphasized. He so loved the world. He loved the world with such greatness and such an intensity that he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world. The world deserves to be condemned but that the world through him might be saved. And at the end of that ministry of some three years, he goes back to the area where he started. He went to his own. He went to the Jewish people. And yet, when he's found at the Jordan River being baptized by John the baptizer. He's being baptized in John's baptism that was a baptism for uh, repentance of sin and the forgiveness of sins. And yet he's the Lamb of God who's perfect. But what is he doing there? He's not setting an example for us that we need to be baptized. What is he doing there? He's identifying as the true Israelite who has come into the world. He has come into the world not just for Israel, but he's the true Israelite who identifies with the covenantal Old Testament people of God. And yet he is the one who will die for the world. And we're engrafted into a new Israel, a new household of faith through a new covenant, through a new and living way. All the covenants of the Old Testament, all the covenants of the Old Testament are pointing forward to the eternal, to the everlasting covenant, as the preacher says in Hebrews 13. And Jesus is the one who fulfills all of the covenants. It's a progressive redemption through the Scriptures. And Jesus, when He comes... When he comes, he comes to provide his people a shelter. You remember what Jesus said? They were, they were so indifferent to his preaching. The, the world was indifferent to his preaching. And why is the world indifferent to this preaching? 
today. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach a Savior. We preach that message that the wrath of God is being revealed against all our unrighteousness and wickedness. We preach a new and living way through His body. We preach that this one, Jesus Christ, was put forward by God. It was a demonstration, a propitiation by His blood and that He is to be received by faith. He finally cried out to Jerusalem as He came to her. Matthew 23 and verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Now listen to this. You would think at this point, you little folks who are with us here t tonight. I know you know about discipline, fatherly discipline. Jesus spoke those words. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're murderous. It was righteous indignation. He spoke the truth in love, but he spoke it with firmness. But notice what he says. How often... I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. That's tenderness, isn't it? I don't listen to country music. I love YouTube. I really do. I got hooked on YouTube. A year and a half ago in a hospital bed. And it was a great time. Because, because the Lord just led me to to people who sang his praises. And it just lifted my spirits. And I was, I was nourished. Oh yes, I had his word right there on my bed, but it used to be an old country song. Heard it when I was a kid. When you knew me as Brent. used to go like this, God's going to get you for that. God's going to get you for that. There's no place that you can hide because he knows where you're at. And even Christians view, often they view God like that. But especially those who don't know the true and living God, they just see him as a God of wrath. And he is that. The wrath of God's being revealed against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men. And he comes to Jerusalem like that. And he's, he's the God of wrath. He says, you're the city who kills the prophets. But he's done that in the very beginning, hasn't he? You remember when Adam sinned? God said to Adam, the day you eat of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And in the original language, it's dying, you shall die. Dying you shall die, not just physical, 
but spiritual. And what happens when he does eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In his shame and in his guilt, he, he hides himself in a bush. It's almost, it's almost laughable. He's, he's in the sanctuary. God's walking there with him, going to and fro. I really believe when it's, it says that God walked with him and the language is to and fro, that, that it was really, uh, it was really uh, a pre-incarnate Christ who walked in the garden and communed with him and fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. And, and, and he sins and he's hiding behind a, a flimsy little bush. And, and he's covered himself. He's covered himself with the created things. Fig leaves or something. He's, he's, made, he's made this garment. Do you know that God sees and he knows? I mean, he knows a word before it's on our mouths. We need to remember this in the context of the, of the church, in our, in our leadership, in our lives, even if we're not in leadership. He knows, he sees, he hears. We're, we're, to, be, we're to be men and women who are, who are slow. Slow to speak. We're to be slow to anger. We're to be quick to listen. And there's Adam hiding in the garden and he's behind these. And what would you expect God to be doing? What do you think he's doing when he says, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. I believe that that was an invitation, a gracious invitation by God to come to him. And to have his sin dealt with by a loving God, by a merciful God. So often we think that God is this, and yes, he is that, and we see that in Matthew 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And then he says, how often? You notice his tone? He doesn't say you've killed, you've, 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 you've killed the prophets and, and, and uh, you stone those who are sent to it. And, and he doesn't say, yeah, right. You deserve what you're going to get. We do deserve what we're going to get. You kids, mom or dad gets angry with you. Now you're in for it. You know what's coming next often. But when God comes to us, You know, we we've got it all we've got it all wrong. We we think that we we think that we give our hearts to God. I'm not trying to be picky or anything, but I mean, where does it ever say that anywhere in the Scripture? 
We're to seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he's near and let the wicked man forsake his way and turn to our God. But listen, he will freely pardon. But he puts, he puts that within our hearts. He puts that within our hearts that we would call upon him. He, he, brings, he brings conviction of sin. He begins to reveal, to, to reveal who we are, first of all. He begins to show us our need. And when he shows us our need, he does it in a, in a loving, in a, in a loving and merciful way. And then he effectually by his Holy Spirit, we think about the call of the gospel. It's with the general call go, goes out. God commands all men everywhere to repent and women. He commands you tonight to repent. That's the command of God, but it's an effectual call when the Holy Spirit, we don't know where the wind's going to blow, do we? The wind comes and the wind goes. We don't know where. And, and, and the Spirit of God comes. And what does He do? He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then at that point, we call upon the Lord, not because we would in our own strength confide, as Luther said, if we did, our battle would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. And Christ Jesus comes and, and uh, by His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and through the living Word, it's not in a vacuum. And that Word comes and He convicts us of our sin and we, we just must call upon the Lord. That's the effectual call of God, and that's great mercy, isn't it? Thank God for His mercy that He hasn't left us destitute and without hope and without God in the world. You see, Jesus doesn't come and say, the wrath of God will fall on you, Jerusalem, uh, and you're done for. It's only what you deserve. It's nothing like that. There's awesome hints that all his hearers were in deep trouble. And you know that at the time of the cross. Everyone was in deep trouble. Like, I mean, you, you don't have to look at, at Judas. Like, I mean, you, you, just, you just look at... They, they all turned away. Oh, the intention, the intention of the heart was good, but, but it had to be so. It had to be that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It had to be that way. And it was that way because we've all turned away. They were in trouble, these hearers, because they had stoned and killed the prophets that God had sent to them. And now they were rejecting the Messiah. Jesus was nothing new to them. So they were, they were in need of protection from the judgment to come. And Jesus himself was, was offering to be a protector. Remember the second point, that Jesus is a place of safety. He's a refuge. He's a protector. And he longed to gather them into a place of safety. And he himself, he was the place of safety. He, 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 was, he, was, he was like the mother hen. And we don't even have to tell that story. You know it so well, don't you? 
But he, he was the mother hen and, and he, was, he, was, he was the place of safety. He was willing to spread his loving arms and his robe of righteousness over them like a hen spreads her wings over her chicks. When a hawk hovers over, when there's danger, and, and then they're safe. And that's what he was saying. Uh, you know, I was willing to do this. And what he's saying is, I'm ready to receive you. And, and, and I'm going to keep you in the safest place in all the universe. If judgment falls, then it will fall on him and not on them. That's what he's saying. And that's why he died. To take our condemnation as his children on himself so that we would not be condemned. Man alive, don't you wish you were a little bit Pentecostal tonight? Thank you. I usually don't do that, but if I was physically able, I'd be jumping probably. That's the second point. The third point is this. This is this is a, you know we sing that we sing that those songs a wonderful savior is Jesus my lord a wonderful savior to me. You know and what does he do? He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. And uh, the third thing is this, Jesus, he offers us rest. Aren't you tired? I don't mean physically. I know you are. You look awful. (laughs) In over 50 years, you haven't improved, so. And I look awful. I'm not talking about physical rest. You may have been awakened to the fact today that one day in the future you're going to be judged by the living God. And he's been a good and a loving God and merciful to call your life. And, and uh, all the bless, best and all the enduring blessings you have known in your life have come from him. And, and you know, we're, we're resting in him. But here's a question. What have you given to him? Well, you just said, well, can't give him anything. He takes. Yeah, but when he, when he comes and, and he, says, he says, here am I. And it's written about me in the scroll. And he says, come to me. And he says, turn to me. What have you given to him? Have you said, no, no, no. Have you trusted him? Have you repented of your sins? That's what it means to trust in Jesus. It means that there's a a volitional, a cognitive, uh, an active, an active taking of responsibility for what you have done. And it's turning 
from that way of unrighteousness, that way that we are born into, that path, that narrow road, uh, that wide road that leads to death, which many are on, it's turning off of that road and it's turning around and it's turning to the one who is the life giver. And it's saying, I repent of my sins. And isn't the Christian life a wonderful thing? Because as we live our lives, we, we still, we're, we, we're bound by the flesh, aren't we? Paul can say in Romans 7, and it's not a debate of whether it was pre or post conversion. Paul can say, he can say, the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things, uh, the things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I do. Isn't that me? Isn't that you? I mean, right now, if you're in Christ, and, and you, you, say, you say, oh, what a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body, this body of death? That old nature would, would spring up, and that old nature would try to take control. And, and so when you're trusting Christ, you've repented of your sins, but you keep on repenting. Are you going to face the great white throne of God's judgment in your guilt? Or have you repented? Once again, listen to Jesus. And I mean like the the tender invitations of 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 the of the Lord. He's talking about all these unrepentant cities, people, and and he's 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 saying he's saying woe to you, woe to you, you you know. And then all of a sudden he says. He says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And this is Matthew 3.28, and he says, he just finished saying, whoa, and then he says, come to me. He says, he says, come on. Come on. All you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. To trust in Jesus, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, is to repent and turn to God and enter into his rest. That's all. Entrust yourself to him. He's all your hope. And so you trust in him. You trust in him. His finished work. You trust in his, his blood that was shed. Not his hemoglobin. You trust in the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. 
And you must come to him. I must come to him in all of our vulnerability and all of our helplessness and all of our guilt and all of our shame to the one who hung on the cross and he bore the wrath of a sin-hating God in our place. You must be very humble in his presence. I'm a proud man. The whole human race is proud. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2. The boys were in the fire furnace. Daniel's in a lion's den. Nebuchadnezzar, he starts giving glory to God. You say, oh, that's pretty good. Today we'd say, oh, that's a salvation experience. few years later, he looked at everything. He said, look at what my hands have done. Pride of the heart was still there, wasn't it? And what did God do? God humbled him. Made him like a cow or a goat. God humbled him. And it was at that point, after he confessed to God, that he was lifted up. Our hearts need to be humbled. Will you plead with him that he would give you a covering for your sin? In other words, death alone protects the sinner from the wrath of God and nothing else, only the crucified, risen Christ. You can rest in his work because it is finished. I could go on. Isn't that interesting? We're coming to Good Friday. You might remember the sayings on the cross. It is finished. You remember after the days of creation what God did in the Garden of Eden? Good, good, good. Okay, you know that. Very good. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested because the creation was finished. And Jesus on the cross cried out, it is finished because it's a new creation. And the work is done. And all we have to do is enter in and rest in what he has done.
A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Amen.